you need to be extremely strong on the value that you're going to deliver and how investors are going to get revenue back out. You need to be very um, confident that if that is going to take two or three years, it's okay. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable tech startups in sunny Western Australia. My name is Beth Cornelia. Hi, and I'm Charlie Gunningham. And today we're talking with the founder and CEO of blockchain fintech business, Money Catcher, Ruth Hatherley. After 22 years working in banking, Ruth saw a massive problems in home loan origination and regulation. For example, her tech can turn around what normally takes 40 days of mortgage approval into 90 minutes. She's gone on to ink deals with banks as well as pick up awards such as Fintech Business of the Year and AFR's 100 Women of Influence. So please enjoy our chat with Ruth. Welcome to Startup West, Ruth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're very happy to have you here and we would love it if you could tell all of our listeners just briefly to start with, uh, what is Money Catcher and what does it do? Mm. Moneycatcher is a technology company that helps organisations aggregate and validate data. We create speed and trust in their asset workflows and improve their risk management and the reporting, the regulatory reporting of those portfolios. Oh my goodness, what that's, does that mean? That's I know. <laughs> I try so to for forget. the layman's in the room, i.e. me, yeah. what, uh, what, what, is that, yeah, what does that translate to? Basically, we fo- we've got two major platforms that focus on origination workflows and that's our home chain platform and then on the risk and compliance management of those um, asset portfolios of data, so generally lending portfolios or asset management and that's called RegChain. And what we we started off building home chain as, as the first solution. And that was really because we wanted to solve the challenges around the very dysfunctional process of buying a home or getting finance um, in a secured situation. On average in this country, it takes about 42 days for that process to happen. And unfortunately, 60% of deals are reworked and they're reworked between nine and 11 times on average. So um, 42 days to get the approval. No, from submission right through to settlement. So oh, right. okay. we wanted to fix that whole end-to-end workflow. And back nearly four years ago, mm. November 2014, we started, 2015 we started, um, we really wanted to be able to put all of that workflow together in a digitised workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were really solving a problem for the consumer. I was just right. saying to you before, one of the challenges is that we are a B2B solution, not a B2C solution. And so when we started going into the market with that platform, um, we started to realise that it wasn't high on the agenda of our clients being financial institutions to solve that back then. The pressures that they had back then were the challenges around risk and reporting and regulatory reporting. And so we realised that our technology was acquiring all of the data that they needed to report to APRA and ASICON. And if we could augment that in a way that enabled them to have real-time, transparent understanding of that data set and that they could report on that instantaneously, we now had a product that the the financial institutions were interested in. And that was when RegChain was born in 2016. Both alive? Yes. Both are working at the moment with banks at the uh, moment? Both of them are at various stages of proof of concept or moving into production development. Okay. So we are at different phases with both of those platforms. 
Fantastic. Oh, cool. Now, I understand that both of them use blockchain technology to a degree. So, f- again, for, for the layman's, uh, both in this room and in the audience, can you give us, I guess, you know, uh, the, the simple version of how you're utilising blockchain technology? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me the definition of blockchain, I, I was looking, trying to find a really simple definition because you heard my version of definition mm-hmm. before. It was quite <laughs> complicated. Um, ben Rashkovich from Fundera explains it really, really um, simply. He says blockchain is a technology that allows individuals individuals and companies to make instantaneous transactions on a network without a middleman like a bank or a financial institution or a a regulated entity. Um, Transactions made on the blockchain are completely secure and are kept, uh, a a record is kept of what happened by function and design of the actual technology. And so for us, uh, blockchain is an enabler. It's part of our overall technical architecture. It isn't the technology itself. Right. Blockchain has a spectrum of use cases and the most publicly known is cryptocurrency mm, and Bitcoin, and, et Yeah, exactly. And and there is a massive spectrum of use cases of, of blockchain. And you've heard um, probably some around the immutability trails or the, the logistic mm. trails of things like diamonds or uh, paddock to plate of a certain yeah. uh, type of um, merchandise or so products um, mm. from the agricultural sp- uh, space. We sit right at the other end of that spectrum in terms of private permission-based um, closed networks, but we yeah. use the capabilities of immutability um, and also being able to have a single source of data that is open and accessible from an outside-in perspective mm-hmm. instead of a downloading and versioning of that data in order to share it amongst an ecosystem. And that's the best right. way to describe it. If you think of the way that we report things for a regulatory purpose at the moment, we have a central database inside an organisation which we download a set of data for, we version that and and create new versions of it and then we send it off over the wire and then it gets uploaded into another software system and then we do something with it. And at each stage there is um, a a possibility for that to be compromised. And what we're trying to do with the blockchain layer of our overall architecture is look at that single um, source of truth that can be shared amongst many players in an ecosystem, initially inside an organisation. But where we would hope the technology goes to, especially in the regulatory space, is that it's an outside-in view. Everybody can have a key to access that data, we're all looking at the same version of data. Yes. So you're looking at an application for a home loan and you're rather than going from paddock to plate, you're like going from the beginning of that application to it actually then becoming a deal and everyone's looking at the same information Correct. rather than copying and pasting and yeah. waiting on the phone for permission and all that stuff that takes Downloading two days. the statements, converting them to PDF, sending right. them over email. One, it's, it's quite ironic. One of the first things that we sort of talked about is every single assessment point, there would be an API out to be able to verify that information rather yeah. than paper being sent in. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we said was on our wish list was that the ATO would open up records to be able to share income information. And I see uh, publicly it was it was requested um, by financial institutions only two weeks ago that the new radical idea would be that the ATO would open up their portals to share <laughs> right. um, income information. But that, that's really where we need to get to is where, this, where the source of truth is holds the information yes. that determines the decision, we should be able to go out and call that information and bring it into the chain as opposed to 
downloading it and sending it across the wire. And that, that's really right. the difference. And, and who's using it at the moment? Have you got Hong Kong Shanghai Bank? So HSBC Australia is yeah. really, uh, we, we did a proof of concept with them around um, the reg chain solution. So not the home chain loan origination side of it, the capabilities and functionality of that inside, but really for the purposes of proving out the concept of faster, more accurate and more timely um, regulatory reporting. That's all working? All live with them? Or We're moving forward with them. Proof of concept yeah, stage so we've, still. With, with our, our relationship with them is um, quite diverse in terms of what we've been able to uh, uncover is a multiple of use cases. So we started with risk reporting, um, but as we've developed the platform and understood financial institutions as a whole in more detail, we've realised that that's a primary purpose. But the secondary purpose where we can actually turn data into a revenue source is being able to have a better transparent understanding of that data set and then being able to manage things like capital holdings and securitisation in right. a more um, productive and efficient way. And so um, the wonderful thing is we've still got a relationship with them and we're exploring all of those things. What that has done is really had a spun off a number of different proof of concepts for us to be able to work through. Yeah, yeah. So, so you speak very eloquently about all this area, oh, thank uh, which you. I'd probably put in the fintech area, but you've got a financial background, I'm presuming, a banking background? Yeah, I do, yeah. And you saw the issue. Is that what caused you to start Money Catcher in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I had spent 22 years in the finance sector. Yeah. I actually fell into finance. Um, I, I've i got the most unconventional story to being a fintech founder that you've ever probably heard. So I, I um, went to uni for about six weeks and I was studying philosophy and theology and I was going to be a history teacher so uh, I have a very creative arts mind um I uni wasn't really for me and I dropped out and my dad uh basically said well there's no more funds for you you need to go and find a real job so (laughs) I fell into um working for a big four bank and I never really understood why I was there in in terms of money wasn't really an exciting thing for me but I loved I realised once I started sort of soul searching a little bit that I loved helping people in, uh, achieve their dreams, and money does that. Money's an enabler, um, and so I kind of spent eleven years there. Uh, I worked through the boom time here in WA and right. saw home lending at its worst. You know, approval times were up to thirty, forty days. Settlement times were up to ninety to hundred days. Yeah. Um, people. We literally had stories of people sitting with removalist vans at the top of the driveway of the new home that they were meant to move into and settlements were falling over on the day and they couldn't mm. move into their homes. And so I uh, naively thought if I got onto the other side, then, you know. You'd fix it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll only, fix it. Surely it wasn't just one uh, bank that did this. So, you know, it was just one bank. We must There must be other banks that were better but, out but there. But why are they falling over on the day? What's, what's going wrong? Because it's a highly human. It's different now. So that was probably 15 years ago. There right. was no PEXA. So PEXA now right. is the automated property exchange platform. Um, so back then it was literally people like we are sitting here uh, around a table shuffling filling paper, in forms. filling in checks. So if one thing was missing, spot on. You just the whole thing Couldn't needs complete. to be restarted. If someone yeah. had transposed numbers on the check, we would all have to call off settlement, go away, write a new check and start all over again. So it was mm. highly manual, highly human driven. Um, and Prone to error. Correct, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I spent another 10 years in the broking space and we had up to 32 lenders on our paddle at, at, at sort of pre-GFC. Um, and I started to realise that this problem was systematic. Um, and because I didn't have a technology background, I uh, 
naively thought that, well, by this stage we were submitting our applications online, so every part of the process was digitised in some way and no one had just stitched it all together. So I naively thought that that's all you needed to do, yeah. just stitch it all together. <laughs> just get a developer, just, yeah, yeah. just quickly stitch it up. So uh, <laughs> that's pretty much how Money Catcher, I, I got so upset by it being um, not right um, yes. and so convinced that someone just needed to champion getting it right. Um, and a few things happened in my life at the time that I kind of must have put my brave pants on and decided that I was going <laughs> to do it and, and off I went. Well, there you go. So... So how are you earning money from it? Are you earning revenues yet? And obviously, like you said, it's the B2B relationships yep. where your your target is. Yeah, absolutely. So our um, organisation is kind of split into three types of revenue. One is around we started to realise over this period of time that there's a high amount of consultancy required. There's education um, required around how do you do such huge transformation projects um, so one source of that of our revenue is that the other source of our revenue is actually the configuration um, of the platforms to the client's needs. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a whole rip and replace solution. Our, our architecture is component based. So um, whilst we have 14 steps, for example, in our loan origination workflow, an organisation can choose to reconfigure the order of those steps and they can choose to actually um, not adopt parts of those steps and adopt others. As much as it is component-based horizontally, it's also component-based vertically, which means that um, they might want to take the workflow layer and the business rules and API layer, but they might decide not to take the blockchain layer in version 1.1. They might want to put that on the future roadmap. And so that's the other part of our revenue. And then the ultimate revenue for us is licensing revenue. So as they use that and it moves into production, they then um, have a volume-based licensing revenue for that. Gotcha. Cool. Now, you're going back to the beginning. You were born in WA, but not in Perth. You're in no. regional WA. No, I'm a country girl. Right. So, um, yeah, I was born in Esperance, uh, which is eight beautiful hours south. Of the world. Very, very beautiful. Um, Best beaches in the world, I would say. Mm. Agreed. And White, I, sandy beaches. Gorgeous. They are. Yeah. Mm. They need to be about five degrees warmer in terms of <laughs> water temperature. Yeah. But in terms of. Um, I grew up on a farm as well and then I went to boarding school. So I'm very country um, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's been uh, really useful in terms of creating resilience and Mm. tenacity and all the things that you need. Big family? Brothers yeah, and sisters? Um, in my immediate family, there was uh, my two brothers and myself, um, but I am on my mum's side. I'm the youngest of 17 cousins, and wow. those 17 have had 42 kids. So, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, we are uh, good country family. Fantastic. <laughs> and so yeah. you were quite creative, you were saying, very, very artistic, and was yeah. that always what you were like well, in school? And- I draw stick figures very well. I'm not, I, would, <laughs> I, I would, yeah, I was more into sort of literature and history yeah. and, and acting and things like that mm-hmm. when I was um, at school uh, maths wasn't um wow, it's so fascinating how you've ended up in no detail. and I didn't even do a science in year 11 and 12 so right. in terms of coming huh. from a stem uh, uh place now you know being a a leader of a stem organization yeah. um I think I, I might be at the token diversity flag <laughs> huh. <laughs> uh, you know in in that thing but yeah I, d- I had a I think it's a beautiful example though of how um business and technology can be intertwined and and I think that technology is an enabler and it needs to be thought of strategically not tactically and we need to look at it to solve challenges not yep. to just 
apply a Band-Aid in order to get from point A to point B. And I think having an appreciation that I don't know how to code um, Mm. but I know that we need to solve a problem, I think that that was pretty important in terms of having a very coming at this problem and solving this problem with a very, very different lens than someone that has a very strong technology background. So you didn't become a history teacher? No. And then how from there did you switch into banking? Um, was that, a, was that straight away? Like when between. your dad said, get a job? Pretty much, yeah. You just went straight into banking? Uh, yeah, wow. I, yeah. I worked in cafes for a little bit and realised I didn't want to work night time. So <laughs> uh, all my friends were partying and I was, you know, in a cafe <laughs> waiting tables. And then, yeah, a job opportunity came up actually uh, to do an interview with a, with a bank and I, and I did that and just literally fell into it. And 22 mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So... How did you find the process of and I, I, you have raised money for mm-hmm. for money catching on the way? Yeah. How did you find that process? Yeah, I think <laughs> with again, your background in particular. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I this is my first startup, so I had no idea of how to do pretty much ninety percent of what I do. I know how to talk, <laughs> and I know how to. Um, I knew the problem I wanted to solve, and I love creating teams with really vibrant and um, outgoing culture. They're the things that I had done. Uh, in my previous roles. Um, I was a branch manager at 27 in the bank. I was the youngest female mm-hmm. branch manager. Um, so, and, and developing and building cultures was something that I could do. So um, in terms of raising capital, I did not have a clue how to do that. Um, and I, for me, putting my own money in first was a must because uh, I didn't like borrowing money at the best of times. Um, and I felt that I needed to validate this crazy idea and could it be done before I actually went out to the market and asked for money. I was very lucky. I had a group of, um, I don't like I was fortunate that I had created some great business relationships. Um, and our chief strategy officer has been with me since the beginning. Uh, it was in fact, Jonathan um, McDonald who introduced me to blockchain technology and, and as a consideration of how we could solve this problem. And so he has worked in a number of startups and has also um, been a, a, an advisor to IKEA and Google and Apple in, mm. in various different ways. So um, he had great experience in this. Um, and we had also, from the very beginning, been a part of um, KPMG's sort of accelerator group that they ran out of um, uh, out of Sydney and we had an advisor here in, in Perth. And so um, whilst your job as the CEO is to raise capital and and find that I had some people who were smart enough to to, to advise me how that should be done yeah. from a structure perspective. And really for me it was about actually having proved enough of it and used enough of my own funds that I had, you know, put in my equity and put my skin in the game mm-hmm. and then being able to go and ask for a sum of money that made sense to cover the right amount of activity going forward. Yeah. So were you full-time from the start then? No, I right. wasn't. So no. how did that transition or what did that look like? Um, yeah, I didn't pay myself for the first year. So um, I had I was working in, a, in another organisation for part of that time and then I had to part, work part of that f- at no cost um, because, again, it was about um, I, I was advised and I think it's the right advice is that as the, as you whilst you need to be paid, um, you, there is a certain amount of, proof that you need to put in before you can start demanding mm-hmm. um, income from that. It's practically very difficult. So um, whilst I understand the advice and how investors view that, um, that is something I w- would like to change, but it, that was the reality of the time. So, yeah, I probably I spent six months like that. The blockchain has sort of blown up in interest 
positive and negative yes. over the time you've been doing it the last four years. Yeah. Has that been good? Has that been bad? You know, have you been tarred with the same brush of the dodgy ICOs? Mm bit unfairly because you don't go anywhere near an ICO, et cetera? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. And um, we've we've definitely ridden some ups and downs mm. and some waves of blockchain. I think it's really um, valuable that blockchain is a component of our technology and we've re-architected our technology over that time where it's optional. Right. So, um, you know, for the data layer, they can use relational databases or, uh, or other type of databases if they don't want to use blockchain. The reality is in order to achieve the capabilities of our platforms, it is the right type of technology, but we are agnostic all the way to that layer and that core where they can use blockchain or not. And if they do use blockchain, we can use Quarter, we can use Ethereum, we can right. use Hyperledger. So we are really agnostic about how clients want to adopt that. And I think that's been very useful. And when we, when sort of we were pre ICO mm. rage, then we went through the ICO rage and then that kind of fell away yeah. on the other side. And when that really happened, we had to change our narrative away from blockchain yes. and that we just simply had distributed technology and that we were able to um, create a a single source of truth and so it's just about adopting the language yep. to the right audience yeah and it, it isn't the hero of what we do it's just a part of what we do mm, nice way of putting it so how do you find the the fundraising scene in wa i, I suppose <laughs> separate to the, the blockchain issue that you kind of faced yeah. over the last few years how do you find it blockchain hasn't been a problem in terms of fundraising mm-hmm. actually having capital raised for early startup technology companies is difficult regardless of what type of technology you're doing in my experience. Um, It is disappointing that Australian investors in my experience are wanting to value and assess startups on traditional revenue models Mm. and valuation models and that is not how technology should be viewed. It should be viewed for future capabilities. We need to take... I understand that the Silicon Valley view view may have been a little bit too liberal in in the past, but I do think we need um, certainly to take some of that and we need to understand that investing in technology is a longer-term investment, that you aren't going to look to IPO or or exit in a, you know, 12-month to 18-month yeah. period um, yeah. and that we need to take a different lens. We're building a great business, right? That's, Absolutely. That's what that takes time. And we're changing the future. And we're disrupting yeah. a very traditional market that has been a mess mm. and needs technology probably to help And it, it needs a lot of money to, to yeah. take that disruption right to the core of the incumbents. And, and I – disruption doesn't mean um, – it doesn't mean uh, pushing out of the way. Disruption can mean collaboration. And part of that funding is to fund the collaboration because in order to collaborate with large incumbents, you need to have very strong security and risk processes. You need to have very strong, um, you need to be ISO 27001 compliant. You need to, all of these things that cost a lot of money that are not production orientated. Um, and if you don't do that, the incumbents can actually exclude you really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of stuff that we've we've really had to argue about mm-hmm. in terms of um, having investors. And I, that's I, we've been able to find money in Australia, so don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. You've raised it a few is million, there. Yeah, we've raised two rounds: one at yeah. one and one one at one point five, and then we've done an internal rights issue as well. So well, that's um, successful. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, but they've both of those have taken 
months yes. to organise yeah. and it's been at, at points in time as the founder of the organisation, you feel like you're defending your idea um, and, and that can be quite challenging. So, yeah, I, 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 think it, I think we need some maturity around technology investment in general in Australia. So what advice would you give to other founders that are going mm. through or about to go through that process? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> another strong. Se- there's another session all through itself. Uh, breathe, but keep breathing. Yeah. Psych session. <laughs> Look, I think you need to be extremely strong on the value that you're going to deliver and how investors are going to get revenue back out. You need to be very um, confident that, if that is going to take two or three years, it's okay that that is going to take that long, but be very justified in, in why that's the case. Five or seven years, won't it? In some cases, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was 10 absolutely. years. I started, it was 10 years before there was an exit. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to, have I butted in and finished it's okay. the Fine. question? Sorry, no. I tend to do that, <laughs> podcast listeners, don't I? But um, when I quit my safe teaching job uh, to launch into a crazy dot-com 20 years ago, my dad went, what on earth? are you doing? Mm. Did your dad say the same? Quite the opposite. Oh, bless him. Yeah. So um, bless my dad. He, so I think he realised finally 20 years later that um, I do things unconventionally and <laughs> he. I had done enough validation um, with sort of some internal um I'd done some internal market validation. I'd done some tech mm. company validation and, and I mentioned KPMG had worked with us from mm. the beginning as well. Um, and I went to my dad and, in fact, part of my self-funding was money from my mum and dad and, and dad said pretty much uh, if you if these people have validated that and this is, and you honestly with all of your heart, heart think that this is what you need to do, um, we're, we're there right with you. Um, oh, and that was, yeah, they still are today. So um, it's been very, very lovely. Have that and you've got 42 cousins to hit up as well. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, they're, they're not, yeah, none of them. Maybe not. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, look, we move on quickly to just to finish off to our rapid fire uh, round of questions. Mm-hmm. So you just have to answer the first thing that comes to your head. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it too hard. Sure. Yeah. All right. What is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Tenacity. Oh, a lot of people say that, yep. resilience, etc. Do you believe in insourcing or outsourcing? I say outsourcing to start and then insourcing once you've actually locked in architecture and, and mm. structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, should a startup self-fund or raise money? Both. PC or Mac? PC. Ah. <laughs> Red or white? Red. Mm-hmm. We're talking wine? Yeah, hopefully. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has a different interpretation. Uh, apart from this one, yes. which podcast do you listen to? Um, I listen to a meditation app called Calm, and I, oh, I love Calm. Yeah, and I Great live app. inside of that. So all the podcasts that are inside there. Yep, fantastic, brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. And we want to wish you and the Money Catcher team. And I didn't ask how many in the team. We're pushing ten now, ten. so nine moving on to our tenth. Well, do say hi. I'm sure they'll listen to this when I it comes shall. out. <laughs> and all the best for the future. Thanks, Charlie. Go Money Catcher. Thanks, Ben. Uh, we'd also like to thank our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cube Co-working Spaces, Curtin University, IP Lawyers Raise, and BDO Accounting. We record this podcast at Rift Studio in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. And we usually release a new episode every second Wednesday, so look out for that and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot, Ruth. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. See you all next time.